This is a HeadGum Podcast. Thanks for listening to No Joke with Billy and Adam on the HeadGum Podcast Network. This is the show where we tackle a topic oh so loosely and discuss our previous, present, and future relationship to it. Today's topic was empathy. We hope you enjoy the No Joke Podcast. Welcome back. This is the No Joke Podcast. I am Billy Scafiori. I'm Adam Lustig. And it is episode number 44. Billy, I feel really energized. Oh, yeah? I don't know. I can't exactly put my finger on it. I mean, I'm a half a cup of coffee deep, but mm. I just feel... Well, I was just in New York for a couple days, and frankly, it just feels good to be back. Yes. Sitting here with you in our home away from home, it feels correct. Yes. It, it feels be, nice to be back. It's worth mentioning you have a coffee in front of you, <laughs> and then you have a second drink yes. that is called Coffee Is. That's right. Which is a calorie-driven drink, kind <laughs> yes. of a breakfast drink, <laughs> yes. that is also charged with coffee. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with me? So you're drinking two coffees Yeah, it's problematic. Currently. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's why I'm feeling so energized. New York will give you energy, but two coffees will give but you- But drugs give you energy directly. Right. Yeah, caffeine does it immediately right yeah and i'm balancing balancing it out with a water uh, which i don't think is caffeinated but right. for all i know could be we are going to record a 45 minute podcast you have three full drinks ahead of you <laughs> just in case i'll be peeing this entire time <laughs> <laughs> um but likewise it is uh, lovely to see you you've yes. been in new york for a week or so and uh, i feel like you're a stranger I know, so it's man. Nice to see you. I know. It's just nice to see your sweet face. Yeah. Uh, but I was in New York. Maggie and I were there just for a couple days. We had a really nice time. I was able to see both of my parents, both yes. mother and father, mm-hmm. uh, and some cousins. Um, and we had a great time. We went to go see uh, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll's Broadway show, which I was telling you about yesterday. Oh, hello. King Hilarious. Right. Was so, so, so deeply funny. And right. I can't recommend it enough. Can uh, you briefly sell or explain the conceit of that show to the listeners at well, home? Well, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll, uh, big, obviously, comedy folks, uh, they've been doing these characters, George St. Giegland and Gil Faison, for years. Yes. For years, right? I've see, I saw yeah. them do it 11 years, years ago. Years ago, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they've done it at Rafifi, right? I'm like at UCB, and it was like very much a UCB staple. And they play these old Upper West Side roommates who have lived together for 40 years. And right. it's deeply absurd and so, so silly. Right. Um, and I'm just going to quote John Mulaney in the show because I think this really sets it up. He says, um, I'm neither a woman nor Jewish, but as a man over 70, I'm somehow both. Oh, so that's okay. really sort of like the vibe of both. They're just like these. So if old- you relate to that line, <laughs> if you understand why that line is funny. Wow. Oh, hello. It's probably <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah, It's truly, truly hysterical. Right. Uh, and so that was one of the highlights of our trip for sure. Those two dudes, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll, yeah. went to Georgetown University together. Did correct? they? I think, are, I think are they that might be true. I think they might be, yeah. Right. I think they might be. There's something to be said for I find that there's a lot of – Harvard Sailing Team just did this show that's coming out on BuzzFeed in 2017. Yes. Called Squad Wars. Yes. With these YouTube guys called the Try Guys. Try Guys. And um, we realized that Harvard Sailing Team being a previous – a group that was founded in college. Right. Isn't that rare or interesting? Yeah. The group that we were going up against, this group Dormtainment, also founded in college. college. We talked about all of our peers. Everyone founded their groups Everybody, in college. Everybody, that's where you – isn't that interesting? Take I mean, it a makes big the perfect amount of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that in college, independently, freed from the nest of your parents, you're like, okay, now I can actually uh, form and forge my tribe. I could pick my family. I can pick my family. Right. Yes, exactly. I guess the more impressive thing is that uh, the groups remained. 
that they yeah that they sustained and remained. Yes. Yeah. And you have some close friends from college, and your I mean your I feel like your tribe. I mean not your tribe, but like you fell into nonsense, which is the paper, the comedy paper. That was Hoster, the comedy right? paper. Yeah, I was the yeah. head writer of the comedy paper. That's right. Um, and also the rugby team. Yes. <clears throat> Very much a tribe that I keep in touch with as well. Yes. And it's great because. It's 2016, and we surround ourselves with a lot of comedians, and right. it's like also a political time of year. Sure. So Facebook kind of looks like one thing. Ooh, baby. It's kind of a lot of political commentary or maybe some just like jokes about your relationships yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But if your tribe in college was the rugby team, you also just get updates of like – did back and buys today, 250 <laughs> incline, like 185. <laughs> and it's just like, yes. Yes. Give me some sort of respite from the political conversation. Just tell me what you're doing on the incline bench how, today. But how much did you bench? So that's what uh, – would you be – would you participate in that? Would you just be like – I'm a fan. Quick, I'm a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty much just – in terms of Facebook promoting – How about Facebook just like update your workout regimen? No. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, no. Yeah. <laughs> I save it for the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm way too modest. Yeah, I save it it's for, it for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is – there's just something so nice about the <laughs> – the group that doesn't necessarily act the way you still act, That's but right. you still like what they're doing. That's right. Yeah, or, exactly. And they're still working out and still taking protein shakes and still having open conversations about the best protein you should take. Exactly. And you're like, I've sort of transitioned into more of like an improv and sketch comedy centric Facebook feed, but thank you. I'm glad to know you bench 275. When I told the rugby team in Baltimore <laughs> that I was moving back to New York to pursue comedy, their ongoing joke was he's taking flute lessons. <laughs> <laughs> They couldn't – they couldn't – Flute. They hear that you're pursuing the arts Flute. and they, they're like, all right, what is like the most <laughs> silly, belittling or yes. just like small, frail yes, instrument? Yes, exactly. Yes. It's like, no, I want to do comedy. You guys already associate me as the funny guy in the group. What's the quote-unquote flimsiest artistic pursuit? Right. Yeah. So when I go on Facebook to tell everyone that, hey, I just wrote the cold open for this weekend's Thursday Night Football. That's right. Check it out. Joe Namath is in it. Yes. Uh, the rugby team immediately gets on that thread and says, I guess those flutes lessons paid off. <laughs> so, that, so that's the kind of support. I do like that. That's, that's the kind fun. of support that that's you That's really fun. And I don't want to gloss over that. And Billy, and I just want to sort of commend you and congratulate you. You have been writing these cold opens for the past couple of Thursday night football games on CBS and on Twitter. Yeah. You wrote that great one with Joe Nabeth and Jim Kelly and their daughters. Yes. Which was hysterical. Very fun. Congrats on that. Thank and then you. for the, who did the Niners play a lot? Niners and the whoever it the was. Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals. Yeah. And it was a great like Wild West, Old West themed bit voiced by the finest voice actor maybe in the world in the country one of the most iconic voice actors that has ever been hard ever. To ar literally hard to argue when Sa you hear the voice sam elliott yeah the one sam from the big lebowski and everything else yeah so the big lebowski he kind of delivered the final monologue at the end and right? the first he's the narrator he's the narrator of the entire movie he's got that voice yeah <laughs> he's the cowboy at the bar oh yeah what other movies has Sam Elliott been in? Oh, man, you're really putting me on the spot. That's a great question. So then we can blow past that if you don't have an answer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have an immediate answer. I think he was like sort of a handsome leading Western man in the 70s and 80s. Can't totally be sure about right. that. Um, our generation certainly knows him from Lebowski and like every commercial voiceover ever. Right. And just like from being that guy. Yes. Yeah. So the Thursday Night Football, the production team is like a small, powerful group that can produce content. Because they, the production value on these bits are so are through the roof. And they they air the moment before kickoff. So yeah. it'll be like Bill Sim, uh, what is it? Uh, Phil Sims and Nance will be like, we'll be right back after like before the kickoff. That's right. They fade to Thursday Night Football Presents. Yeah. And these are the things that I've written. Yeah. And it's so impressive. But they shoot them in a day, it's, maybe a day and a half. It's crazy. And the day that they were shooting the Gold Rush, yes. which was for the 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals, right. they also had a voiceover session 
uh, let, uh, ready for Sam Elliott. The one and the only Sam Elliott. So everyone was occupied by this huge shoot, and I got the call in the morning saying, hey, Billy, you're going to lead the voiceover session. You're going to direct the voiceover session with Sam Elliott. And just for, like, an equivalency to me, like, directing Sam Elliott in a voiceover session is equivalent to, like, teaching, like, coaching Michael Jordan through, like, a quick jump shot, like, exercise. Teaching George Clooney how to monologue. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, (laughs) they don't need my help. They have the words. They'll probably put their spin on it, and it'll probably be perfect. You want to just go give Picasso some notes on his latest painting. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Billy. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I did it. Yeah. And the first five minutes were me very much like trying to just like develop a rapport with this guy. Trust me. The thing I didn't want to do was to come across as an expert or as like, I know what you need to do. Right. I wanted this to be very symbiotic and back and forth between he and I. And frankly, I wanted him to take the lead. Seriously. Well, he, (laughs) about five minutes in, all I was saying was, thank you, Sam. Sorry, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Sorry, Sam. And at one point, he turns and just says, son, you're going to need to stop being such a pushover and tell me what to do. And I took that yes, note. Yes, sir. I took that note, and I started actually giving yeah. some, some direction. Exactly. Still, like, not foot fully on the gas pedal. Yes. Uh, How sort of aware and kind and, frankly, sympathetic uh, and sort of like, yeah, like I said, in tune of him to be like, kid, like, I know you're intimidated by me because I'm Sam Elliott. Like, yes. I get the dynamic. I also get the dynamic in this room. Yeah. And I'm empowering you to say, like, direct the bull it. by the horns. Direct this thing. Very cool. And the reason that I was saying thank you, Sam, and sorry, Sam, so much was because he was always being so polite back to me. Yeah. If I said sorry, he said that's okay. If yeah. I said thank you, he said you're welcome. Yes. So it was kind of that like bowing culture yes. where like you bow to someone and if they bow back, then you bow, bow back and then you bow back and then they bow back. And that was kind of my initial problem. Thank you, Sam. You're welcome, Bill. Oh. Thank you for well, – well, you're welcoming me, Sam. Right. Thank you for saying – yeah, exactly. Right, right. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so he is the sort of gentle – southern western gent that we want him to be exactly. it's nice to know that he's like a polite yes. yeah i will go on record as saying the man was quite lovely uh, yes. you know for having such a gruff voice absolutely he's the one who says cores the banquet beer oh there you go so he's just got that and does he uh, was it a video chat or was it over the phone yeah it was over the phone so, oh, it was over the phone so you couldn't really tell if and he probably still has that mustache probably always has that mustache i think he is the mustache. i think he is the, the mustache is the thing that speaks i think the mustache would shave sam away <laughs> I don't think Sam would shave the mustache. <laughs> the mustache shaves me. You got it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting that you touched on um, your rugby friends, Facebook feed. We're talking about sort of differences in in social groups. And now you're sort of in the comedy and, you're, and your rugby friends call you a flautist. <laughs> and um, I think that what we're going to talk about today is the topic of empathy. Yes. Which is sort of relates to that because it's about, you know, having pathos and having sympathy and putting yourself in various people's shoes yeah frankly yeah that are deliberately unlike yourself sometimes yeah i think so i think that uh you know it's like we said this is kind of a specific month in the year in the every four year cycle yeah everyone's going crazy everyone's going crazy and with good reason to a certain extent i feel like a lot of people are just feeling very emotional and scared and just feeling a lot right and so i think that we discussed before the show and empathy is just something that i personally haven't seen enough of yeah or it seems like people are kind of forgetting that that is a quality that kind of like ties us together absolutely it's the quality that sort of like ties our humanity together to really be able to empathize with other humans especially those that have fundamental that you fundamentally disagree with or don't even understand necessarily that's right it's it's about trying to put in that second gear of trying to understand them and showing empathy and trying to work towards empathy yeah that you're yeah yeah it's election season it's crazy it's like this country's so 
polarized social media and like you go on Facebook, it really sort of exacerbates that sort of echo chamberness of like how the internet can work where you can create an internet and life experience where you only have your biases confirmed and you only interact with people with whom you agree. And Mm. that is like a natural sort of like inclination of the internet. Like you said, Facebook feeds are populated with people that mostly agree with you and are echoing your own opinions back at you. Right. And that's comforting and that's empowering and that it's cool to know that like, okay, I am in like a community of people that share my opinions and my point of view and like minds, but it is challenging and I think really critical to sort of like deliberately seek out people whose opinions are different and right. also try and sort of see their point of, point of view. Yeah. And it's tough. It's tough these days to do that. It's tough. All period. the time. It's tough, period. Period. Yeah. I mean, like, I can remember as a little kid yeah. when, you know, you'd see kids being bullied or you'd see kids being teased right. generally. And in my gut, I knew it was wrong. Yeah. You know, I knew it was wrong. And I personally had a hard time just like sitting there, just like accepting it. Right. And it might not be that I would go and fight the guys that were bullying them, but I would then try and show more care and attention to the people who were being bullied right. to try and take the edge off of like, those are some jerks, yes. but there are other people who don't think you deserve to be treated like this whatsoever. Yes. And you just try and work harder for that. And also, I think that it's something that is, um, I don't really think it's, I think that there's a degree of it. It's like that nature versus nurture thing. It's like how much of a person's ability to be empathetic or capacity for empathy is innate and how much is learned. I mm-hmm. think that a lot of it, frankly, uh, is learned, and I think empathy is a thing that you practice. To yes. be honest, it's not like I was just born really sensitive to other people's plight. Yes, I'm dude. just naturally super empathetic and sweet. Versus, I guess I just was born without it. I guess I'm a dick forever. You're and it's like so so right. I just really do. I, I I I like to imagine empathy as a as like a skill and a plant that you can nurture and cultivate and and help grow. Yes. And we were talking about Maggie and I just being in New York, and honestly, I think that you know. Being on the streets of a city and one of my favorite things about New York City in the world, one of my favorite, favorite things about the city is that you can be on the street and get on the street level and you walk around at such a pedestrian-friendly place and you can physically, physically experience the sensory experience of, of other people and that they aren't visceral. They aren't like uh, like theoretical beings in cars that are like trapped away from you. You can really get up and hear and look at people's faces up close and sort of hear their different languages. These people are real. Yeah, that they're real real people and they speak differently than me and walk and talk differently than me and I can observe that even if it's in like a three second like as you pass each other on Fifth Avenue. The subway. I mean the subway is just an aquarium of people and culture and life. It's the beautiful human soup that you just are thrown in in New York and I was saying to you before we started recording that I feel like my, I felt just being in New York for a few days, I felt my empathy scale just like ratchet up. Uh-huh. It just like gets pumped. It just like pumps your empathy uh, sort of pump yeah. to just to be surrounded, physically surrounded by people unlike yourself. I agree. And it really, really helped with that. And I, just like I felt myself sort of in a weird, not at the risk of sounding too hippy dippy, like sort of felt my empathy growing. <laughs> that's not hippy dippy at yeah. all. That's exactly why we're doing this episode yeah. to discuss things just like that. Yeah. Um, that was a first, a fast first act. I say that I we just. Slide quickly into a song. Let's do it. We haven't played a snake song in a while. There's one in the chamber. Yeah. Yeah. We'll play it now. We'll come back. We'll discuss it real quick and then we'll hop right back okay, on the great. empathy train. Perfect. Cool. This is the No Joke Podcast. We'll be right back. Christmas time. I really like Christmas time. I am delirious but serious. I like Christmas. 
I really I like Christmas time, but serious, I, I am like delirious, Christmas. but serious, I like Christmas. That was Christmas Time by Billy and I, a.k.a. Snakes. That is the final track off of our second Sleepover EP. <laughs> I guess you could say that was the last song we've recorded. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Yeah. Chronologically speaking, that is the most recent song we've recorded. Yeah. That uh, was recorded, as I believe I may reference in one of the verses, at about 6.30 or maybe 7.30 a.m. We discussed it a lot, the, the nature of the Sleepover EP. We yes. would stay awake for 24 hours, 24 no straight. sleep. Right. We would write perform, produce, mix, and master an entire album yes. in 24 hours. Yes. That was the last song. We, <laughs> we wanted five songs on the album. Yes. We had four. Like you said, it was like 6 a.m. Yeah, We had late. to be done by like 10 a.m. <laughs> that was our deadline. And we we didn't even know where to start this song. Like, we were brain dead. Yeah. We were, we were on lack of sleep. Literally. And I just remember we were like, should we just do a round? Like row, row, row <laughs> Yeah, your exactly, boat? yeah. Like that seemed pretty simple. Almost like a children's tune. So we started there. And then I remember uh, Mike Perkillo, yes. a.k.a. Rich Royce, our producer. Our fabulous producer. He like hit a Christmas bell yeah. on his keyboard yes. once. And we're like, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it like turned into this like dark kind of. It was like a moody, like. Haunting Christmassy Like type. a Krampus. So it would be like the soundtrack to like a Krampus movie, Evil sure. Santa. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Krampus? Yeah, you never heard of Krampus? Krampus? Wait, hold on, hold on. Slow down. <laughs> Is Krampus a man or a holiday? 
okay, I'm going to get this wrong exactly, but Krampus is is like an evil demon who is like evil Santa. There's in Christian culture? Uh, I, I, I can't exactly identify, maybe like pagan, certain pagan cultures, but like Krampus is definitely like a, a mythical creature. Spelled that- with a K? Would spell with a K, of and they made a horror movie out of it. Maybe James Franco was involved in there. There's like it's like a horror movie, and he's like an evil C- Christmas demon, Krampus. Kramp- <laughs> Do you mean bad grandpa? <laughs> Krampus, K R A M P U S. Krampus. I hate when people take C's and turn them into K's. And I'm I looking know. at you, Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme, what the hell? It's like you stuffed your donuts with pure fat. You can't do. You that. can't spell cream K R E M E. You cannot do that. Okay. Uh, and again, not to be lewd or anything, but also that uh, that fast food gas station chain, Come and Go, the K U M and Go, unacceptable. 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 Yep. Name change. Violate. <laughs> Switch that up. Name change. Switch that up. Okay. Um, yes, but Krampus uh, is the is the evil Christmas demon. Yes. Uh, why were we talking about Krampus? Uh, because of Christmas time. <laughs> oh, that's right. Christmas I really time. like Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was – and despite the fact that I want to say that we recorded that in dead of summer. Maybe. I think that was like July or August. Like I said, Mike just had a Christmas bell on his keyboard and we're like, okay. That's where we're at. We'll write that song. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, uh, I do I do want to take this brief opportunity, Billy, before we sort of get hop back on the empathy train yeah. to issue a handful of corrections. Like oh. I said, I was in New York this past weekend with my lovely parents, yes. Susan and Jeff. Who, who come up almost every episode. Almost every episode. Avid listeners of the podcast, um, to put it mildly. Mm. Avid listeners and participators. Thank you to all the avid listeners of the podcast. Thank you very, very much. We appreciate your avid listenership, including you, mom and dad. And so I just wanted to issue a few corrections, things that I've misspoke in some previous podcast episodes as brought to my attention by my doting and loving mother and father. Before you get to this list, did you write these down as they were saying them to you, or did you just keep a mental list and then put them in the book? Mental list, put them in the book, but I have been reminded by my parents. Understood. Okay, first of all, in the Pets episode, I miscredited this Martha, my dear, to Paul, to John Lennon. Yes, definitely Paul McCartney. Yes, absolutely, a hundred percent. My mom was sorely disappointed that I had not absorbed that information. And we know that you do not like making little mistakes like <laughs> it that. It hangs they over you me alive. It hangs over me. I know no one cares but me, but me cares. Kenny Mayne said that he feels the same exact way when he makes mistakes on Sports Center. Does he say that? Do you not remember? He told us that. Oh, right. <clears throat> Can you refresh? Yeah. He's so like, if I make a you, little mistake, you um, you misnamed Flopsam and Jepsum oh, for Little Mermaid. That- <laughs> And we were having Kenny get, Kenny right. guest on the show that day, and you were just like beating you down. <laughs> and what? I was like, "Yeah, he like this is a sports show, but we were talking about Little Mermaid, and he <laughs> said the wrong fish names, and like he's like having a bad day now." And Kenny was like, "Oh, I get it. Like if I called Randall Cunningham, like Rodney Cunningham, like my week is ruined. It ruined. Seriously, I can't sleep." It's a problem. It's like I'm not even like I am not compulsive. Well, Maggie might disagree, but I'm like like OCD-ish about anything. But like this stuff, like this, like sticks in my craw. It just like sticks in my brain. Be real. Okay, my parents. I have maybe uh, reductively referred to them as teachers, perhaps on previous episodes. Yikes. Teachers. My mom wanted me to specify and qualify. My mother was a speech therapist and speech pathologist yeah. in middle schools. Yeah. Not just a teacher, a speech language therapist and pathologist. Worth noting. Worth noting. Totally. And my father was a child psychologist. Got it. So it is reductive and mom and dad, I do not I do not mean to sort of be reductive about your career paths. Mm-hmm. You are not simply teachers. You are a specific kind of teacher. But if you are, this isn't to your parents, but anyone else listening, if you are a teacher, 
wonderful position. Thank you. Wonderful career path. Thank you for your Thank service. Thank you for teaching our children. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Exactly. When I, my mom likes to tease me because when I was in third grade, maybe kindergarten or first grade actually, and they asked me what my parents did. I have, I don't know, like, did you know what your parents did when you were five? Like, I think it's, I feel like it's sort of like. My dad was always playing the piano, exactly. musician. Like, I yeah. guess he's a rock star. Right, like, you right. half know a little bit. Right. Um, I knew that my mom spoke a little bit of, I've heard, I'd heard her say a couple Spanish words, probably just like hola. Oh my God. A couple times. And I knew that she worked in a school. So I said with confidence in a kindergarten, my mom is a Spanish teacher. Of course. Obviously. Yeah. So like she I've been getting ESL. <laughs> she teaches ESL. So I've been getting my mom's job wrong my whole life. Okay. So that uh, so nothing uh, has changed. So there. not worth noting. Not worth noting at all. Um, my dad also wanted to qualify in our pets episode with Farron also that he sent us an email saying that he wanted to make very clear that he was, in fact, allergic mm. to animals, gonna cats, and dogs. Going to need to see his medical <laughs> yeah, records. We need to this see is a Donald Trump moment. We're going to need to see the records Dad, to believe get it. Dr. Perkins on the phone, fax those right over to HeadGum Studios, and we'll confirm ourselves. Thanks. Okay. But he wanted to make, make it known that it was not some sort of ruse or facade or excuse. He's no Joe Einhorn. <laughs> He's no... He's he... not Farron's father. So he claims. So he claims. So he claims. Farron's so... father claimed the same thing. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Kind of hard to tell. Right. Um, and that's really it. That's really all I wanted to say in terms of the corrections. Right. Uh, but I just wanted to set the record straight. Uh, Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney. Yes. Who I also know is an avid listener. I'm sorry for uh, misrepresenting you. And Your parents are not teachers. They were former <laughs> speech pathologists. Speech pathologists and a child psychologist. Right. Uh, uh, yes. And my dad is, in fact, allergic in real life, again, so we claimed, Got to uh, furry animals. So that last That's three all. minutes was hyper uh, hyper important for two listeners in the yeah, country. Yeah, exactly. That's really just for my mom and dad. Right. Yeah. Thank you, everyone else, for uh, indulging me. People are looking at their watch saying, but what about the empathy? When is, but what I'm, about the empathy? I came here for the empathy. It kind of feels feels like he empathizes with his parents too much. <laughs> Why does he care so much about uh, that? It's the second act of this, the No Joke Podcast. In this act, we like to talk about our present lives with empathy. Mm-hmm. On Facebook, Adam, yes. we've talked about it a bunch, yep. but people are coming out swinging. People come out swinging, especially Pe- in political seasons. Yep. Coming from Long Island, there's a lot of it's, there's a lot of Republicans from Long Island, yep. Yep. and they are often championing Donald Trump. People that I respect, right. people, good friends of mine, right. are still... If not even just championing Donald Trump, they are actively uh, destroying the credibility of the Democrats. Right. You know, and they are constantly just saying negative things about them. Right. And I'm I am one of those people who, while I have strong beliefs about people and politics and things like that. Right. I don't like just dumping them out onto Facebook. And, and, And because I think that my natural inclination would be to push back. Against some of these people who are just being so – people that I know to be good people. Right. Like people that I have grew up with. Yeah. But in this one little realm, yeah. they, they come across so demonic at yeah. times. Yeah, Um But there's no real way for me to approach them that I, I feel like represents me well, will be interpreted correctly, won't lead into a bigger problem. And so I don't really know how to – Yeah. While I can empathize with like that – they have their beliefs and that's okay. Right. I just don't know, really know how to engage. So I actively pull out. Yeah. And sometimes that feels like that is uh, maybe not the right approach. I don't know. I, I, I feel the same way because, I mean, it, it is like we said at the beginning. I mean, it's difficult and it's tricky when you do have values and when you consider yourself to be an ethical person with any ethics whatsoever. Right. If you are see people, especially friends of yours or people that you know, also to be ethical and and like ethically sound and morally good – generally to like have these wildly different beliefs it's hard to address those people with empathy right because it it makes it really challenging because it seems like you come from two different planets you know like 
how did we both grow up in the same town, both have the same education, have like r- like reasonably analogous family lives, and how have we fallen on such opposite sides right. of this like weird moral ethical spectrum? Well, it seems difficult. Yeah, I think so too. I think it kind of relates back to what you said in the first act about it's experiential. Right. Empathy really comes from ex- practice. Practice and just finding yourself surrounded by different types of people. Yeah. You know, I remember like years a couple of years ago when like gay rights were still an issue and we mm-hmm. st- and everyone really had to work like mm-hmm. triple and quadruple time to get this thing off. Mm-hmm. And it like wouldn't land in in politicians' minds until they announced like they have a gay niece. Right. And like now suddenly like this makes more sense to, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and it's just it's all so fascinating and even like now and like again, we don't want to make this a political podcast. No, no. But it's like when people like uh when Trump said those disgusting vile things to that and I'm sorry Fuck Billy Bush. Well, obviously. For a second. I mean, please. That's our spinoff podcast. I've grown up with so many dudes who allow guys like Donald Trump, who are like the big guy on campus, to just say trash, and everyone else who kind of disagrees with them still enable it and like just spread it further. Those dudes are pure, pure evil. There's a special shelf in hell for that guy. When all those vile things came out on the bus, right. that every all these politicians started saying, I am a, a father of a daughter. Right. The son of a uh, mother. Yes, exactly. You know, I'm married to a woman. Yes. It's like, is that what you really need? Yes, exactly. To experience empathy? Exactly. And that is because he was because he was brutal to Muslims, to gay people, to any sort of fringe group the past year. Brutal, awful, terrible. But so now white that, women is where I draw the line. Because I I know one. Yeah. I know one and it affects me. We call that selective empathy. Exactly. bullshit, frankly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's just yeah, a, You needed that to – like that was the thing that crossed the line because, oh, you have a sister and a mother. Guess what? Everyone has a mother. Right. You know what I mean? It's like everyone has a female family member. It's like you don't – you shouldn't – having a female family member shouldn't be a prerequisite for feeling uh, offended by vile misogyny and awful hate mongers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and what do you think? I mean, I guess I just – maybe I'm naive and maybe the whole world is having this conversation as well. But like wouldn't you think that in when there's so much push in one direction from both political parties with their wants and you can even like equate it to cops and Black Lives Matter right. and people just have very strong points of view yes. on what's happening with their collection of people. Yes. Wouldn't you think that within those groups, certain leaders would come out and be empathetic – towards the other groups and then that leadership would probably be accepted and revered i would like to man you would hope so because while being a scab and crossing the line um is generally looked as being kind of like you know you're you're leaving your team when like unions go on strike you mean but if you honestly believe that what your crew is doing is vile in some capacity and is just showing an absolute lack like a a pushback of empathy, yes. saying we refuse to even consider yes. what you're saying. Absolutely. Wouldn't you think that a few select people might rise? Yes. And that when the kingdom finally crumbles, they would be the one standing on top saying, I will be the next person. What's her name? Anna Nazaro? Do you know Anna Nazaro. Oh, the CNN pundit who like really unloaded on the other one? Yeah. I mean, is that who you mean? She, yeah, she's a Republican. Yeah. Who is, I mean, been doing it. And she's just... She refuses to accept that women could be treated like this. Exactly. She will cross the line because what's being said yeah. is just 
such a lack of empathy. Yeah. As a sports fan, too, I felt it very – I thought one of the mo- more interesting sort of unattended consequences of Trump sort of like chalking up his, again, uh, vile uh, sexism and misogyny to quote-unquote like locker room talk or like locker room banter. I loved the backlash from the sports community. Dude. That was like that isn't locker room talk. That was my first feeling. You better believe that I wrote an, like a, like a four-paragraph essay that I never p- put online. Just to like get it out. In defense of locker rooms. Yeah. As a person who grew up on teams, right. still coaches teams, holds teams and the core of team and what teams stand for and work towards at the highest value, how dare how that dare. human mashed potato think that he is athletic? More like a sweet potato. No. Oh, mashed. Mashed. <laughs> crushed. <laughs> he is not a sweet potato at all. Maybe in skin tone. Maybe just skin tone, yeah. <laughs> He's just so non-athletic. Right. It's like, how dare you? Even talk about locker rooms. That's right. Yeah. Boardroom, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And right. only in your six ad boardroom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he has he has definitely – Donald Trump has definitely uh, challenged all of our – all of our – all of our – my personal uh, ability to empathize with him, I mean. And then I was saying before, too, that there was a really great article in the New York Times the other day by this writer, David Brooks, that was basically – and I know that you read it, too – that was like the sad, lonely life of Donald Trump, essentially. Yes. And again, it was like the point of view, I thought, was like full of pathos. And frankly, I wouldn't know if I would call it empathy, but certainly sympathy for Donald Trump. Well, empathy is born out of trying to understand the situation that someone's in. That's right. right? And yes. trying, trying to understand it without judgment. That's right. And I think that he did a very, very good job. He did. Yeah. And the attitude just being like, I'm not even like, yeah, of course, I'm disgusted. Of course, I'm outraged. But like mostly, I just feel deep pity for this man, right. for this kind of. Sad, not even kind of, for this sad, joy, seemingly joyless man with no friends and no allies who hates women Can't hates experience himself. love, can't experience companionship. Damn it! Yeah. Yeah, and it's like the, this sort of like em- empathy-less like, uh, mashed potato uh, has been thrust upon us and I feel like has made us all have to confront the limits and the boundaries of our ability to empathize. Mm-hmm. It's hard to empathize with that dickhead, yeah. um, but it is – I thought that – uh, article was an interesting sort of point of view with which to look at Donald Trump. That's a good question worth asking. We'll ask it in the third act it is, does everyone deserve empathy? <laughs> yes. Um, interesting question. So we'll go to an ad real quick. Uh, a good friends of ours have opened up a breakfast taco spot in New York City. Yeah. So uh, we'll go to that real quick. We'll tell you all about it. And we'll come back with the conclusive third act of this, the No Joke Podcast. Let's do it. So we've talked about Chris Smith, Harvard Sailing Team member and a good friend of ours a lot. He grew up next door to me, and his whole family is basically family to me. Truly. So when his older brother, Steve Smith, the brother with the business acumen, (laughs) says, I'm leaving my job on Wall Street to start my own small business – we listen. Yeah. Enter Halapajar. Halapajar. And Steve Smith, as well as Chris and Steve's cousin, Tommy, uh, have opened this fabulous breakfast taco spot that is in the Clark Street subway station in Brooklyn, New York City, right in Brooklyn Heights. Yes. Uh, and I, like we mentioned in the podcast, I was just there this past weekend. Maggie and I swung by Halapajar, had some absolutely scrumptious breakfast tacos, and it's amazing. I mean, it seems like a magic trick that there's a restaurant in the subway station. Right. It's that magical. Is, that is not common it's not common at all in new york city right and people want to eat when waiting for a subway you know what i mean or like getting off the subway and like yes it's been a weirdly long night or like you sort of like stumble off hungover or whatever it's like the perfect remedy for that so if you are in brooklyn heights or you find yourself in the clark street station you need to go to 
Jalapa jar. They have a bit of a brick and mortar situation located in the freaking subway. It's so cool. They have the bacon, egg, and cheese yep. taco, of course. Duh. They have the chorizo and refried beans. Eh. That is the most authentic Tex-Mex style that they offer. Cool. And um, if you're a vegetarian, they have the avocado and black they bean. They got you covered, yeah. Steak and sweet potato. Yep. Go to the Clark Street Station. Yes. In Brooklyn Heights. Yes. Look for Jalapa Jar, or if you're from the Northeast, Jalapa Jar. <laughs> and uh, tell them we sent you. Please tell them we sent you. They also have delicious coffee, side note. Oh. Yeah, okay. which is like almost just as valuable. Okay, bury the lead. Yeah. <laughs> so one more time, it's Jalapa Jar. They have a website. We believe it's jalapajar.com. Pretty sure it is. Tell them that No Joke Podcast sent you. You probably won't get anything for free. <laughs> This is the third act of this episode of the No Joke Podcast. We've been talking about empathy. Yes. How people empathize, the degree to which uh, it's possible to empathize. And we sort of posited the question, obviously, in the wake of this Trump madness and what a monster he is that has been thrust into the public eye for so long. It's like, is everyone deserving of empathy, of pathos, hmm. of having other humans uh, sort of uh, sympathize with them? I think that, yeah. I, think I tend a... to say yes. I mean, my knee-jerk reaction is to say yes. Would you say – Human right. You can still, yes, I agree. Yeah. But would you, and you can keep it knee jerk. Yeah. Would you say that everyone has a, uh, do some people lose that right? Yeah, like, that's a great question too. Um, I mean, if you just are so wildly hateful and sort of, if you yourself, yeah, I mean, maybe once you lose your ability to empathize, I mean, I think that like one of the unintended consequences of that is that like it becomes harder to empathize with you. I mean, Donald Trump has like been so inflammatory and so um, hate, frankly just hateful with his rhetoric and with his language about immigrants and Muslims and like the religious intolerance. And I mean, women is just like the tip of the iceberg, but also somehow the entire iceberg mm. um, and that. Yeah, it seems like he has exhibited so little ability to empathize and be a kind, menschy, human normal right. that, yeah, it kind of feels like he no longer deserves our uh, sympathy whatsoever. Right. Kinda. I think, yeah, it's like there's a – I guess there's a distinction between trying to understand someone right. and their situation and how they got to this place right. and empathy. Yeah. Because I'm still curious about – I don't empathize with that man anymore. No, you know? I guess I don't. I, either, I, I really. don't feel for him. Like maybe at times it's like, oh, you're so pathetic, right? You know, but I don't like. Uh, I rarely feel like the what he's receiving from people who are bullying him isn't unjustified. It's it, all... it, it feels completely justified. Yeah, you I know? mean, like, like I said, he is the al he is his brand is bullying. He seems to like the thing that disturbs me the most. He seems to actually, and this is what was touched on in the David Brooks article too. empathy. It's like the only time that he seems to experience joy is when he is bullying. Correct. Correct. It seems like the only thing that gives him pleasure is to is to be mean. Right. Right. And I think that's the opposite of empathy. It's just like he like he takes pleasure in that. He seems to relish that part of his quote unquote brand, his personality. Uh -huh. This sort of like tough talking bully, intolerant bully that he has created. Right. Whether or not that's even his authentic self or not, it's become it's become his authentic self because he's been sort of espousing this nonsense for so long. Yeah. So it does it does become hard to to feel for him. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading another article where um there was and this kind of relates to empathy in that there is a it, there was graphs about Hillary's popularity over the last 30 years. Right. And when she's in a position, when she has the job, call it senator, call it secretary mm -hmm. of state, mm -hmm. she has great approval ratings. Yeah. People love it. People right. love her. People don't uh, – people aren't attacking her in the same way right. as when she um, is going towards a right. job. Right. She was – 
um, beloved when she was the first lady. Yeah. Until she uh, announced that she wasn't going to do traditional first lady roles, which right. is just kind of be the kind right. of trophy bride. They'll be paraded around. Exactly. She wanted and to then get health care passed 25 years ago. Yep. Her likability went down. Right. Um, then she decided that she was going to, after that, run for Senate. Right. And her likability went down even lower. Right. And then she, when she got the job, it went back up. Went way back right. up. <laughs> and then and, – and the and the, conclusive, the conclusion based yeah. on all these graphs and information yeah. was that people – or I should say that current people yes. <laughs> or of the last 30 years yes. just simply don't like to watch a woman – uh, go towards power. Last 30 years. I would say last tw- 2,000 years. But we can handle it once they have it. Right. Nate Silver, statistician, sabermetrics guy who like does the 538 stuff and all the political polling, he put out that graph the other day that was like, if just men voted, if just women voted. Right. If just women voted, obviously Donald Trump wins zero states, obviously. Right. Of course. Right. Uh, if just men voted, it was like the map was like super red and he would win a whole bunch of states. Mm. Uh, Donald Trump Jr., Donald Trump's kid, retweeted that if only men voted map <laughs> without the context of it being a hypothetical. And seemingly he so he tweeted that the red only map where it was like all red, like if just men voted, Trump would definitely win. And he was like, see, right. we're building momentum. Like right. our campaign is going great. Look at this map. Right. And it was like, A, completely ignoring the context of Nate Silver's original context. Which <laughs> was like, this is theoretical. Of and course. B, almost more deeply and blindly offensively. Seeming to ignore the fact that women can vote. vote. But women can vote, though. Just likes what he sees. <laughs> he just liked that what he sees. It was like, right. wow. Right. Yeah, so it, I mean, like. Right. That's brutal. We've given Donald Trump a lot of, uh, we've said Donald Trump probably too many times yeah. on this episode. Yeah, yeah, it feels uh, bad. But it is the third act, and yes. we should talk about the future of empathy. Yes. And to maybe just push politics aside for sure. a second. I sure. think that what we have touched on earlier is something that's worth reminding and encouraging our listeners to do which is to go outside of your comfort zone yes you know it's like democrats operate in a bubble republicans operate in a bubble frankly you and i politically aside operate in a bubble you know we surround ourselves with people who have similar careers with us similar cultural interests as this is natural this is how evolution works this is tribalism this is a community and there's nothing wrong with that Uh, definitely not on a whole obviously however you can't just Absolve yourself of who you are as an individual for the role of the collective, what the collective believes in. It's on you to go out and try other foods, Truly. go to restaurants that you might not, that you always drive past. It's so little and simple, but like you said with Brooklyn, it's like when you meet a Guatemalan waitress for a second and you just have that point of reference – those you will become more empathetic towards that person it's science literally hearing other languages literally having them cross your neural pathways right the auditory experience of listening to people with different accents hearing people who speak different languages the, it is it becomes really really hard not to expand your worldview and not to have empathy if you are surrounded by people unlike yourself it becomes harder it's harder to do that definitely harder to vacuum seal yourself off in a bubble if you thrust yourself into like we said the the weird great human soup that is that are cities right you know yeah and not just cities i mean like obviously it's more can do like cities are more conducive to being surrounded by different folks obviously um but it's i mean the internet is also that sort of community it's like tinker around on a part on the corner of the internet that you wouldn't normally right it's like the internet is also a vast weird human soup totally and you know people sort of retreat to their corners of the internet and like they can 
each act as these sort of like somewhat detrimental echo chambers. Go to another echo chamber for a second. Right. Just for a second. Right. See. Just see. It's so – it has to be experiential. Yeah. You know, that's, that is just the connective tissue yeah. to take away all preconceived doubts and judgments about people that you don't know. Yeah. You know? That's what I thought was so brilliant about – I mean like – again, not to loop it back to politics, but like we love President Barack Obama. You'd have to be a weird person not to. He's Four more the, years. He's the best. Four more years, please. Um, or Michelle. Or just Michelle. give me Michelle. I'll take Michelle as well. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, the Obamas are obviously uh, deities. Right. <laughs> um, but the beer summit. Remember the beer summit? Yes. It was that the famous that like black professor was like on his. I'm gonna get the facts of this wrong, but he was like arraigned by or like harassed by a cop like on his own porch, like at his own house. Right. And it was weird. He was like a revered, renowned professor in this college town, and he was like harassed, whatever. Um, president, and this was at the beginning of Obama's presidency. I, I want to say. And in what I thought was a a sort of deft, savvy, and inspirational gesture of empathy. And and pretty simply executed. Simple. He had both the police officer and the professor over to the White House to have a beer. A beer. To have a beer with him, the president. Mm -hmm. And that to me was like, oh, okay, this president values empathy and and experiencing other people's points of view and not being rash and um, judgmental Mm -hmm. or not reinforcing not reinforcing your own worldview, but in fact, deliberately challenging your, mm-hmm. own, your own worldview. Yep. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. This I, guy's going to be – I like be, this America. Yeah, this yeah. guy's <laughs> going to be all right. I like this America. Right. Yeah. And if there's advice that we could give to people outside of just – if you're feeling like you are in a friend group that you like your friends, but perhaps they don't necessarily carry all of the qualities that you feel, right? it's really on you. To go out. You know, it yeah. really is. And this is coming from a place of I grew up in a largely, uh, I'd say, conservative section of Long Island. Sure. A lot of my friends in Rockville Center were raised by conservative parents and became conservative. That is without judgment. I also knew that growing up, I didn't necessarily like what was happening here. Or rather, I was way more curious than just this one lane for a life. I might want to be a flautist, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I needed to move to New York City yeah. to be thrown into the mix of weird, yeah. strange, different. Yes. And it, is, it has just taught me to care, to be more curious. That's right. And I don't know. I guess I shouldn't say this is the right way to live, but one would hope that curiosity would lead to respect for what you're learning about. I agree. And if those things are people and their causes and their challenges yes. and their realities, yes. their actual day-to-day realities, That's right. they wake up with this, they go to sleep with this, their parents have dealt with this, their That's grandparents right. – it's on us to be the catalysts of change. That's right. And I know that like white privilege, male privilege, these are like hot button – these are like buzzy words right now and like these are like thrusting the thing. But that is empathy. It's addressing and acknowledging your privilege and like you said, sort of j- deliberately seeing things from like the unprivileged uh, human's point of view. Yes. That is how empathy begins. Right. It is hard for me as a white person to imagine the day-to-day experience of being black. It's hard for me as a man to imagine the day-to-day experience of being a woman. In fact, it's impossible to viscerally understand it. But but I can stretch my empathy, and in fact, I must. Yes. We must. And I will listen. You, we mu- we it's, must. It's not me uncovering, and it's not you like decoding these problems. There are people, and it's all over the internet, listen. who are saying, we've been dealing with these things our entire lives. That's right. And even though if that's not your day-to-day experience in your own life, you've never had an interaction with a police officer that's been scary or tense, like even though you haven't, 
doesn't mean that no one has. Right. And I know that sounds like an obvious, the like fifth grade level logic. Needs but to be said. Needs to be apparently said. every yeah. day for the rest of our lives. Yes. Because it's that is not that is not the overwhelming feeling of people around us. People That's aren't right. as curious and caring as That's we would right. hope. And again, I uh, I want to say this without sounding condescending. It's also important important that the empathy extends, in my view, 360 degrees. So it's not only that, yeah, you felt the impulse to move to a city, leap into the weird human soup, meet people unlike yourself, and that grows empathy. Absolutely. And then I think that empathy needs to then reflect back onto the weird conservative Republicans with whom you grew up that right. didn't have the same experience. Right. And it's harder to empathize maybe with those people who yes. you feel more different from but yes. that is why that makes it doubly important yes. to have empathy for them don't pick spots it's an don't important quality in just creating a community that's right yeah you might not agree with them but do your best to understand them yeah. and they'll hopefully then do the same for you that's right. and then hopefully then there will be room for discourse that's right there will be room for conversation that's right but if one side calls one side bad the other side calls the other side bad another re and neither really actively tries to understand who they are and where they came from no progress yeah, will happen that's just being our wheels yeah yeah, yeah. we need a, a worldwide beer summit right yeah we just need can the whole world just sit down and have a beer together i always please. said if the world just blacked out if the world just got it, blackout drunk together oh new year's <laughs> no that's new year's we, we, that's what out, new year's is turns out that's the beer summit got it that is the global <laughs> beer summit right um well we tried to pick a subject that was uh maybe a little bit more challenging than just talking about pets i really enjoyed this talk and i think that uh there's real value in it yeah yeah i uh, like talking um i like uh, you know what i like talking turns yeah. out these three coffees really did that um well let's try and make it a more empathetic world and let's just let's try please. and make it a respectful world where we actively try and respect and listen to the people around us get out there and listen <laughs> get out there and listen just listen get out there and vote just get out there and meet somebody new you might like them okay for the no joke podcast i am billy scafuri i'm adam lustig and we will as always talk to you guys next week thanks for listening that was a headgum podcast <laughs>